Good morning, and welcome those of you online as well to chilly Florida. They, they, uh, they, say, they say crime goes down when it gets so cold uh, here. I'm not sure about that, but I, I, do, I saw another story this week I love. I'm a sucker for stupid thefts or stupid criminals. If you, if you guys know what I'm talking about, the different stories come up. So if you see some, send them to me. Like one in Georgia a while back, these guys were gonna rob an ATM and they were, it was an ATM outside. And so they attached a chain, huge chain to the bumper of their pickup truck. And that other part of the chain secured it to the front of the ATM. The plan was to, to floor it, rip the front off of that ATM and be rolling in the dough. Didn't quite happen that way. They floored it and their bumper came off. And they took off, uh, panicked at that point because uh, the, the bumper got ripped off the back of pickup. So it, uh, the, 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 the chain was attached to the ATM. The chain was also attached to the bumper. And attached to the bumper was their license plate <laughs> with current registration plates. So the police were waiting on them when they got back uh, to one of the guy's house. Or another one, I, so I remember a couple of years ago, Palm Beach County, a guy tried to rob a Wendy's with a three and a half foot alligator in the drive-through, throwing it through the drive-through window. You know, didn't have a gun, but let's just use an alligator. That makes total sense. In front of all the video cameras that get your, your, your license plate as well. One of my favorites though, happened in Colorado Springs. Arlene and I were living there. It was a convenience store. This guy came in with a really old shotgun. And I don't know, there's a few other things he might've said that tipped the clerk off some to that he, he's, he's, this guy might have some issues, but he wanted all the money, put it in the paper bag, the guy did. And behind the clerk, because the guy was, the clerk was putting all the cash in the bag behind him on the wall was all the liquor. You know, all the, the whiskey and the, he saw a bottle of scotch. The robber did. He said, I want that bottle of scotch. Give me that scotch, put it in the bag. And the clerk turned around, looked at the scotch, said, I, sir, I can't do that. And he said, why not? He says, I, I don't know if you're 21 or not. <laughs> he said, you what? He says, I cannot give, give alcohol to minors. I, I'll, be, I'll be breaking the law then. And he said, well, I'm 21. He says, you don't look like you're 21. The guy says, I am 21. He reached in his, showed him his driver's license with the date. And the guy said, good, I'm sorry. Yeah, you are 21. So the guy took the scotch, went out the door, and then the clerk called the police and gave them, I got robbed. And if you'd like the name and address of the guy I got robbed with, this is it. And they went to get him. So if you've got others, let me know. And I think the reason we, we like the stupid crime stories is because real crime is so tragic, and especially the tragic crime that is so epic. And it's a crime that you and I face the consequences of every day. It happened in the garden. There's a thief that came in to disrupt what God had done. His glory perfectly overlapped with all he had made. And he said, this is the path of life. He told the first man and woman, obey me and you'll live. If you don't, you shall surely die. And this thief comes along and says, you shall not surely die. And they died. Hearts kept beating, lungs kept breathing, but they lost the life of God. They lost the ability of human beings not to laugh, not to cry, not to create, not to be geniuses 
not to do great science and project, but they lost the capacity to flourish to the glory of God. And it's that great theft that's at the root of our vision at Northland, which is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. Without the gospel, we're partially alive. It's, it's muted. But with the gospel, we're ushered back into the original trajectory for which we're made. So we're going through this series in John's gospel where he talks a lot about this. Uh, about 71 times in his gospel and his epistles, he uses words that are translated in English life. Only about 15 are referring to bios, biological life, or suke's psychological life. The rest are referring to zoe, which is, is, is the life of God. It's the life of the spirit. So that's why we're calling this series Awaken. Because the gospel is not a summons to be religious. It's not a summons to have something to do on a Sunday. It's a summons for you as a human being to once again flourish to the glory of God. For you and me as human beings to awaken to who we were made to be. And that vision of being fully alive is based directly on a statement that Jesus made when he says, this is my mission. It's in John chapter 10, and so we're going through John's gospel, paragraph by paragraph, so we come to that verse. You've been hearing it for, me say it for the last, you know, during this series, what, 10, 15 years as we've been going through John's gospel, that we now come to John 10, 10 and the context of it. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. If you don't own a Bible and you'd like a physical Bible you can hold, go back to the welcome desk afterwards. We'd be glad to give that to you as our gift. Or you can look online right now. John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly. We looked at that last time. It's an Aramaic phrase. Amen, amen. Basically, it's amen, amen. Jesus would say it when he was underscoring, emphasizing, use it a couple of dozen times in John's gospel. Everything he said was important. But this is big time, listen up. He's speaking to the Pharisees, the religiosity crowd. They, they, they are who Jesus was opposed to in challenging. It's not the people that owned up to their brokenness and their sin. It's the people that pretended that God was impressed by them. That in their, in their religiosity, in their dead ritual, ritual's not bad, but dead ritual is. They were saying, hey, we can, can go to God and we can kind of hijack this and we can earn our way to God. He says, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, he's a thief and a robber. He's already referred to them in this, this course of dialogue in the last chapter that these religious guys, their father was the devil, the great liar, the great thief. He's saying, you're doing just like him. You're thieves, you're robbers. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech the Greek word there is prop, just kidding, um, but he was very probably standing near a sheep pen when he's given this teaching. But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, here we go again, amen, amen. I tell you, 
I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Those who say this is the way to live, this is a way to be fulfilled, they're, they're robbing you of your humanity that's meant to be aimed at the glory of God. I'm the gate and whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and they'll go out and find pasture. Here we go. Here's the, that was the context. Now here's the verse you've heard over and over. The thief, that grand theft in the garden, continuing through his emissaries, the thief comes to only to steal and to kill and destroy. But let me tell you why I've come. I've come that they may have life, zoe, flourishing, thriving, throbbing, glorifying the God life. And have it to the full. So Jesus, once again, brings out a prop, or he points to it. He walked amongst his props, and it was very probably near a sheep pen. We don't have a sheep pen here, but we've got a little pen that I can construct on stage here. How many farmers do we have? People that grew up near sheep. Wow, it's an overwhelming number. There must be a convention here in town. So, this um, opportunity that we all have, let's see here. Let me construct it. Perfect. All right. This passes for a sheep pen, don't you think? Some of my needs to say, that's beautiful. Thank you. Sheep pens have gates. Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the one. He also refers to himself as the shepherd. And he says, I'm the gate for the sheep. I've come to lead the sheep. I've come to shepherd the sheep. And his shepherding, he puts it in context, is in direct opposition and correction to that great theft in the fall. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but as the shepherd, I've come that you might have life, have it to the full. I've come to reverse the curse. I've come to shepherd you out of several ramifications and results and tragic implications of the fall. Let's go back through this text. There are three of them that come out. There are plenty more, but there are three that I deal with, you deal with on a daily basis. In our own hearts as well as in the lives of the people around us. The first ramification of the fall that the theft brought about was aloneness. And Jesus says, as the shepherd, I want to come lead you out of your loneness, and I'm going to do that with my love. When I say the word aloneness, we all immediately begin to track with it because we know the taste. You can have a lot of people around you, but still experience that deep aloneness or loneliness. I uh, was reading about some research that was going on on this whole topic and the experiment that they did 
was they got, there were several test groups and they'd have people together. You guys remember playing catch in a circle when you were a kid and they'd had this big Nerf ball. And so it's real easy to catch and they just start throwing it to one another. And so it's like popcorn in the circle. But this, the experiment was this, everybody around the circle was uh, cued in to something except for one person. They said, do not throw it to that one person, whatever you do. And so in each of the test groups, some older, some younger, they would be throwing this around. It would be uh, you know, six to eight people tossing it to one another. But everybody around that circle knew they weren't going to throw it to this one person, and that one person was not in on this. That's where the video cameras, that's where the researchers focused. And their nonverbals, their, their countenance would change because initially it was, this is awesome. I haven't done this since I was a kid. Yeah, and they, oh, I didn't get it that time, but it's coming now. Any minute now, it's, it's going to come. It never would. And eventually the countenance changes, the nonverbals changes, and sometimes even to the point of that person saying, I'm out of here. Aloneness, it haunts us. We do extraordinarily th extraordinary things, sometimes extraordinarily stupid things, to try to correct that aspect of the curse. Because aloneness grips us. In fact, in this research, James K. Smith uh, talks about it a little bit. He says that in the research, that aloneness, that loneliness is of epidemic proportion and grows as people get older. In fact, it is equally harmful to our mortality rates as, as smoking. So smoking and aloneness, loneliness, both are about the same in terms of their impact on our, how long we're going to live. And it exceeds obesity. Loneliness, aloneness is, has a bigger impact on our mortality than even obesity. And loneliness will shorten our lifespan, about 30% about more likely to shorten our lifespan if we're grappling with the aloneness and we don't deal with it. It doesn't shorten our lifespan by 30%, but we're 30% more likely to live a shorter life if we never address this. Yesterday, I, every, every Saturday as I'm doing final prep for teaching, I'll either in breakfast or lunch go to a, a cafeteria or a restaurant of some sort. And the reason is, I don't embarrass you guys, I promise. I don't stand up and say, hi, I'm at North and I want to practice my sermon. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm just, I want to be in a place where there are people. Because it's good accountability. Platitudes kind of get pushed by the wayside when, when you're grappling with truth uh, in the midst of other human beings. And so yesterday... At lunch, I was at a taco place, and I had everything spread out. I had a baseball hat on because that disguises me. Nobody recognizes me with a baseball hat. <laughs> and I'm studying away, and I've got my tacos there, but I've got all my stuff spread out because the bill of my hat, I didn't see uh, this young man. He walked up to the table on the other side of me, and uh, all of a sudden, I hear out of nowhere, uh, do you mind if I sit down? And at first, I didn't realize he was talking to me. And then, oh, I looked up, and it was this young guy. He's mid-teens, sharp, sharply dressed, had a, an earbud in. And um, at first, I thought he, he knew me. And then I realized he doesn't know me. He just wanted to sit down. And I looked around. There's nobody else, very few people in the restaurant, tons of, it's not like it was full. I said, sure, yeah, have a seat. He said, Hi, I'm, I'm not going to tell you his real name. He says, hi, I'm Blake. 
And he stuck out his hand. I said, hi, I'm, I'm Matt. Blake, it's good to meet you. He said, I bet you're wondering why I wanted to sit down. I said, no. <laughs> he said, I don't have that many friends. I mean, people tell me they like me, but they're just not throwing me the ball. He didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. I said, what, what grade are you in? He says, ninth grade. I said, where do you go to high school? He told me the high school. I know that high school. I know a couple of people there. So we talked a little bit about why he wants friends so much. And in the middle of that, he says, so, what are you working on? John chapter 10, verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He doesn't just say, hey, anybody want to come? Great, make yourselves at home out here. He calls us by name. I want you to say your name. Don't mumble it. We're going to do it all at the same time, so it'll be all right. I want you to say your name loudly on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three, Matt. He called you by name. He calls Blake by name. And when the text specifies that, when Jesus zeroed in on that, it wasn't simply, hey, I want to be polite. Biblically speaking, name is far more than a little hello, my name is tag. It's far more than a little entry in a census or a registration slip. A person's name is who they are, their tears, their, their heartbreaks, their successes, their genius moments. Their stories, their brokenness, their beauty. It's all of the above. When it says he calls us by name, he's saying, I know who you are. I know what you need. I know the theft that has occurred in your life. I want you to, to come with me. And so he leads us out of our aloneness with his love, with his care. By name, Psalm 138, it goes both ways. When we're singing, how beautiful is his name, so often I hear uh, churches, Christians, sometimes I refer to, it's almost like a superstitious thing. If you say Jesus, the ma it's a magic name. No, 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 that's, that's not the context. The texts are referring to when we exalt his name, we are exalting who he is in this fullness. Psalm 138 verse 2, I will bow down towards your holy temple and I will praise your name. Not just say, wow, Jesus has a nice ring to it. Or, no, it's I will praise who you are, what you do. It's an intimate exchange. And I'll praise you, your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness, for you've so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. And understand, all that's clarifying his name. 
It almost goes without saying. If we're, if we're praising His name, we're including His unfailing love, His faithfulness, His, His solemn decrees. He says, when I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. Psalm 91, verse 4, and verse 14, He'll cover you with His feathers. And under his wings, you'll find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I'll rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. It's not saying I'll protect him because he's saying the magic word. Remember those games? God says, "Mm, what's the magic word? No. What he's referring to, I will protect him, for we are friends. To be a friend of God. We're going to look in the next couple of weeks at the price Jesus paid for this. It's not overlooking our sin and our rebelliousness, but He has healed it in order to be friends again, to be reconciled to Him. So when the shepherd calls us out by name, He's saying, I'm leading you into a friendship with me. I'm leading you to a life in which you do your your client meetings and your doctor's appointments, when you do your exams and your vacations, when you deal with your illnesses and your successes. You're my friend. Zechariah 13, 9, I'll refine them like silver and test them like gold, and they will call on my name, and I'll answer them. Here's what calling on his name looks like. He's calling us by name. We're calling him by name. I'll say, they're my people. And they'll say, the Lord is our God. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. You who revere my name. Again, it's an embrace. It's an exchange. It's an intimate embrace, an intimate exchange. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And I love this. He'll lead you out and you will frolic like a calf that's well fed in a pasture. That whole notion of his name. He's called you by name. He's called me by name. And it's an invitation. The consequence of really getting that It's not you and I becoming really impressively religious, but frolicking as human beings in the midst of a broken world with the hope of the gospel. John 17, 3, we've talked about it before. Here we go again. You want to know what eternal life is? Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The intimacy, the name exchange. In the midst of you and me trying to navigate through as human beings, hearts beating, lungs breathing, but dead in our trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2 says, yearning for something, aloneness crippling us. In the midst of that, we hear our name called. It's the shepherd. It's the son of God. It's the creator, the sustainer. He says... He doesn't say, hey, what's your name? He knows your name. He's known you since the day you were conceived, since the foundations of the earth. And this is an invitation to be, not just to do religious things, but to be with him. 
movie just came out recently about somebody that has had a big impact on just about every one of us. He wore a red sweater. What was his name? Mr. Rogers. Name of the movie is Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, but that's not the most famous thing that Mr. Rogers would say. He was a Presbyterian minister, and he touched on it at the beginning of every one of his shows, and it was a question. It was a question that he asked. It was an invitation. And it started with, won't you, and what was the rest of it? Won't you be my neighbor? One of the deepest needs of a human being. And he followed it up with either howdy or hi or hello, but then he would say the word neighbor. He said, won't you be my neighbor? And then rhetorically he would say, hello neighbor. That's not just cute. It's not some gimmick. He was tapping into the humanity, the Imago days, who are still in the image of God, but isolated, alone. And he was really letting things breathe a little bit, where all of a sudden they were saying, hey, I'm known. And I've got the gate. So you said, now in this passage, is Jesus the shepherd or is he the gate? And the answer is yes. And as the shepherd, as the gate, he brings us out of that consequence of the fall called our aloneness with its love. But secondly, as our shepherd, he leads us out of our aimlessness. Aimlessness with his leadership. He says, he leads. The consequence of this great theft that happened in the garden is that we awaken, or, or, or we're born without being awakened, and we're going through our lives aimless. We're not really sure, confusing purposes with goals and saying, I don't know my ultimate purpose, but, uh, and some say, I do know my ultimate purpose, and we think it's the accumulation of possessions or power or fun fixes. No, 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 those are goals. They're not overarching purposes and undergirding meanings. He leads us. But we as as sheep have to do some things here to let him lead us. Uh, A place where I, I often will do breakfast on Saturdays is a cafe. It's like it came out of the 50s. I mean, it, I don't know that they've redecorated it since. It's awesome. It's great food, but it's a counter in the back that we're there. I'm sure there used to be a soda fountain and these little bitty plastic booths, but I'll go there and it's jammed on Saturday mornings. And a couple of weeks ago, I, w- I was there and that's where I was doing my study. And every Saturday morning, there's a group of old men that, uh, I mean, very mature men. Uh, they, they are delightful. Uh, about six or seven of them. And not a one of them can hear very well because in the way they talk to each other reveals that. And therefore the whole restaurant can hear them, but their stories are delightful and they'll speak to one another. And one of the guys, he said a couple weeks ago, you know, uh, uh, you know, they call it the good old days, but I wasn't good. 
And I wasn't old, and that's what made them the good old days. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking, I need to write that down. There's something profound about it. But a couple of weeks ago, one of them said, you know, my wife, she, finds, she said, and I don't know if, he was, if it was a joke or if it was real. I mean, he was just saying it just to, like the, all their other tones. He said, my wife, she says, there are two things that, that, that I just do badly. And I've never corrected. And one of the guys said, yeah, I can't wait for this. He said, yeah. The first is she says, I don't listen well. And the guy said, all right, and what else? He said, well, the second, I don't know, the second was something else she was rattling on about. <laughs> Go to verse four. And see how important it is to actually Listen. When he had brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. And here's why they follow. Because they know his voice. Now, knowing his voice doesn't say, hmm, yep, know who that. That means listening to his voice, embracing his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the, angel, the Pharisees uh, did not understand what he was telling them. You know, they were, they were blind to it, but the others weren't. You know, Dallas Willard says the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, is far more popular on tombstones than it is on people's lives. And the reason is, we, my word's not his, we don't listen. Now, this is referring to us as sheep. I'm not sure if you're aware or not, that is not a compliment. You and me being compared to sheep is not a compliment. Any of you have been around sheep? They, uh, they are fairly simple creatures. They are not the brightest in the, in the barnyard. And they will uh, do all sorts of... Somebody showed me in the foyer uh, between the services a, a, a video. Don't look this up now and keep listening. But uh, this sheep that had gotten himself into a tire swing and couldn't get out, and his feet are dangling there, and the other sheep are coming back and forth, and I was just thinking, that's us. That's us. A woman out in California has a, a workmate named Jerry, and he grew up on a sheep farm that's outside of San Francisco, and once or twice a week, he goes out to help his parents with the farm, and usually it's to help them look for sheep. And she one time just said, what? I don't understand. Don't sheep, why do you have to go look for sheep? Can't they just find their way home? He says, no, they're sheep. A lot of times they don't get there. He says, in fact, what's most concerning to us are the, the, the pregnant sheep. A female sheep, trivia, is a ewe. And a pregnant ewe, when they go into labor, will sit down just wherever they are. They, they, they're not looking for a good play, they just sit down. And if they are pointed downhill, gravity is gonna prevent them from giving birth and they'll die right there. So they pay particular attention, they have to go look for the female sheep to make sure. Uh, some farmers out, uh, some sheep herders out in, in Turkey about 10 years ago, Gavas, Turkey, were out one morning, they came in to the village for 
for coffee, but they could still see all of their herds. They were together grazing. Something happened with one sheep, and it took off like a bolt of lightning. Something scared it or whatever, and started heading away from the flock and heading towards, actually, to the horror of the sheep herders, to a cliff. They knew that it was in that direction. And all of the other sheep started running after this one sheep was going. That one sheep plunged over the cliff to its death. 1,500 other sheep followed. Only about 450 died because the rest could, you know, the pile grew and it cushioned the fall. I'm not sure if I said it or not, but it's not exactly a compliment that you and I refer to as sheep. We operate very much like that. But it's powerful when we have a shepherd. We're not, when we're not sheep without a shepherd when we're known and loved, but then when we're led. But as sheep, we have to listen. Go back to the text. It says they listen to His voice. They follow His voice. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. As a result, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me and He refreshes me. There's a restorative aspect. And he guides me. Two of the most powerful phrases that you can hear right now in your journey and whatever aimlessness that you're grappling with, it might be small, it might be big. He leads me, he guides me. And he guides me along right paths. A Hebrew word for straight and righteous are the same thing. It, it, it's this life-giving path. And he does it all for his name's sake, for the glory of his name, for the, the, to be faithful to who he is and his character, and also to invite us in. So where does he lead us? This whole notion of he's loving us out of our, aim, uh, out of our aloneness, but then he leads us out of our aimlessness. Where is he leading? Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to what? Huh? Life. Not heart beating, lung breathing, but the, the zoe, life of the gospel, the life of God. Only if you find it, he says, but you know what? I'm the gate. There's not, an, there's, you can't, there's no other ways out of here. I'm it. You want that life? Let me lead you. So how? It has to do with his voice. Uh, there was a guy in Jerusalem a number of years ago, before all the terrorism restricted travel, and a, a couple of sheep herders were going through some of the narrow streets uh, at the edge of downtown of the old city. And he was having coffee in a cafe, and all of a sudden he realized this is going to be interesting because it was these two sheep herders couldn't see one another, but they were bringing their flocks of sheep along this road, very narrow street, and they were about to meet. And he says, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? They collided, but, and uh, then the sheep started mingling and the bleeding became deafening and sheep were turning around. Yeah, he says, this is, these guys, they're never going to get their whole flock back. Somebody's going to lose some sheep here. And they go back and forth, and then eventually they, they parted. They still headed the direction that they were going initially, so they got through it. And to his shock, all the sheep 
got sorted out. And the shepherd was doing what? He says, that it occurred to me in the midst of it, the shepherds were just talking the entire time. They never stopped talking. And the more confusing it was, the louder they talked. Why were the shepherds talking? Because the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. In fact, sheep will key in on one voice. A shepherd actually in a wadi, which is a gully, a cliff, it's a a ravine might be the, the way to put it. If a sheep is on one side and that sheep shepherd is on the other and that shepherd calls to that sheep, that sheep will will come towards them and plunge to their death. In fact, Bedouin, young Bedouin girls who, and those are usually the ones who are the sheep herders now, when they get married, they usually have to either sell or slaughter the sheep because the sheep can be shepherded by no one else because they only pay attention to her voice. Do I care that much about the voice of Jesus? Do I listen? Do you listen? Psalm 95, verse 7, for He is our God, and we're the people of His pasture, and we're the flock under His care. Today, if only, and I want to say this to my fellow human beings who've been restored by the gospel and other human beings who've not yet, if only you would hear his voice. If only you'd hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me though they had never, they, though they had seen what I did. They saw my faithfulness. You've tasted his faithfulness. Are you listening to his voice? Am I? Isaiah 28, 23, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. Pay attention. Pay attention to who? Mark chapter 9, verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. The logos, the written word, not a coffee table book but a love letter, an instruction manual, something to directly address our aimlessness, not with superficial religious goals, but with powerful purposes and meaning. The living word, not just looking at this as a religious textbook at all, but seeing that this this written word is connected with the living word who is Jesus. And there's the creation word. He speaks in creation. He speaks in our consciences, paying attention. Not just when I'm desperate on a daily basis, learning to recognize his voice. So this whole notion of his theft, correction, That aloneness that comes as a result of this great theft, he leads us, shepherds us out with his love. The aimlessness that's there, he shepherds us out with with his leadership. But there's a third consequence of the fall that's huge. It's our ache. And he, he shepherds us out of our ache with his life. 
Now, when I say ache, what I'm referring to is what's present in every, not every religious person, every human being. It's, it's from that eternity that's in our heart. It's that, what Pascal referred to as that God-shaped vacuum in every human heart. It's that ache, that ache that we have, that we say, you know what, this, this is not all there is. There's more. But I don't know how to get there. I don't know what it is. C.S. Lewis, I shared this with you a while back. I'm going to share it with you again. It's a poem that he wrote called Vowels and Sirens. What Lewis, throughout his journey from atheism to agnosticism to embrace of, of deism and then theism and then biblical Christianity and becoming what he referred to as the most reluctant convert in all of England, what accompanied him throughout that all was his ache. He paid attention to it. And he let that ache ultimately lead him to Jesus. He referred to it by a German word, a Zinsult. And this is how he describes it. A vanished knowledge was their intemperate song, a music that resembled some earlier music that men are born remembering. We all have it. It's our imageness coming through. What all the gods refuse, the backward journey to the steep rivers, hid source, the great returning, the sirens feign to give. So we try to trace that music. We chase after those temptations of the sirens and they say, I'll, I'll show you where the ache's coming from and we go down that sinful path and it ain't there. John 10 verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and they will come in and they'll go out and they'll find pasture. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Don't fly by those two words right at the end of verse 9. Go back one more, go back to the end of verse 9. They will come in and go out in two words. I'd like you to say them out loud. Find pasture. Sheep love that. Sheep need that. That's where we flourish. That's where we're sustained. That's where we're nourished. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and, and have it to the full. It's a restorative statement. It's a shalom statement. It's a flourishing statement. It's a thriving statement. It's what you have been yearning for your whole life. It's not a new religious experience and something to do on a Sunday morning. It is for me to relate with him in such deep intimacy on a daily basis, letting him love me, letting him lead me, that I begin to find that life for which I have been thirsty since the day that I was born. And as the gate, as the gate, he says, come, I will lead you there. It's a daily thing. It's not just, hey, head that direction. I'm gonna show you a couple of photographs. These are pastures. These are sheep. Photographs in a group that I was with, we took on the mountain. This, see that lushness? <laughs> they're pasturing. Now get a little bit closer. The next slide, you can see they're coming. See those tufts of grass? That's pasture. It's not that green alfalfa that some of you grew up in in the Midwest, where you're just kind of there and have at it, folks. No, you see how dependent those sheep are? Daily, 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 figuring out, okay, this is what the pasture looks like. The prophet Isaiah, this is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor, I'll answer you, and in the day of salvation, I'll help you, I'll keep you, and I'll make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land, and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, 
and to those in darkness, be free. And they will feed beside the roads and, give it to me again, find pasture on every barren hill. John 20, 31. We've talked about it numerous times. John says, let me tell you why I've written my gospel. These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's part A, part B. We've talked about it quite a bit. Part A, orthodoxy. Part B, vibrancy. The whole aspect of you and me journeying through life is not just to have the right belief system. It is to trust in Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, but then, then, he says, and, 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 that by believing we have life in his name. Finding pasture we want. You want to know what a pasture looks like? I've just changed the orientation of this gate. Here we go. That's the pasture. Pop quiz, I didn't warn you, so here we go. What's the pasture look like? What's that life in his name look like on a daily basis? Looks like living with a sense of awe in worship and noticing the author in all things and starting to relate things not as just chance, but an act of great beauty and intentionality and creation. It also looks like brokenness, where I engage with brokenness with the hope of the gospel, authentically owning up to the brokenness, but at the same time, understanding God is shaping me through it and realizing that every day, because I'm an image bearer, I'm to be creative, creativity. I'm to create in my vocation, in my relationships, in my acts of kindness. I am to give the gospel away. I'm, in, I'm his image bearer, and so I'm to follow him in that way, but I do it with a sense of depth that's rooted in the Word of God, not just paying attention to what's happening on my daily, in my daily life, but why it's happening and understanding that a huge purpose that I've got is engagement. To engage other people with the gospel in acts of justice and kindness and evangelism and tenderness and making sure I'm doing it not as an individual only, but in fellowship. It's not an individual sheep, it's a flock. It's a flock of sheep that walk in community and image him together. And we walk in generosity. We give away what he's given us. This pasture, when he says, let me love you, let me lead you, let me give you life, out of your aloneness and your aimlessness, that ache that you've had is addressed when you begin to engage with a sense of awe on a daily basis and that brokenness and creativity and depth and engagement and fellowship and generosity, that will lead to an engaged heart living with passion frolicking like calves just released from the stalls, not just going through and saying, yeah, I agree with that doctrine, you agree with that doctrine, great, see you next week. But living with heart, all the while living with an intimate, a sense of intimacy, an intimate relationship with Him and knowing that today is not random. Today, and maybe it's your first time here, today is part of a great journey. And sheep that are under the leadership of the shepherd, they get that, they realize today makes a difference because today the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth a little bit more until that final day when His glory covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. So as a sheep, I'm no longer lost. I'm being led by a shepherd. I'm no longer alone. I'm being loved by a shepherd. 
shepherd and I am no longer aching with no place to take it. That internal compass, that, that, that God-shaped vacuum is leading me to a place of, of thriving. John Ortberg talks about his wife Nancy was a nurse and she was in pediatrics and one of the most painful things that you'd see on a chart is when the initials FTT would be written on a chart for, for a child. In pediatrics, it means the child's not growing. It's not, it's, it's stunted in some way. And the failure to thrive is written in initials on there. Is it depression by the parents? It's like the depression of the child, they don't know. The tragedy of the great theft is our failure to thrive. The beauty of the great gospel is our invitation to thrive once again. And that's why it's called good news. Let's stand together. We're about to sing before we are launched out of here. And one of the things you're going to sing is a reaction that every sheep has to the gospel. Here's the here's reaction, it's whoa, I need you to say that. Whoa. Yeah, but you gotta say it a little bit louder. Whoa. whoa. Say it one more time. Whoa. How about two times in a row? Whoa. whoa, whoa. Okay, you're rehearsed, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the goodness of our shepherd. Thank you for the grace of our shepherd. Thank you for the invitation that you give us to live. And I pray for the aimlessness in here this morning, the aloneness that's in here this morning, the aches that are in here this morning. May your love, may your leadership, may your life invade the nooks and crannies of our hearts and may we listen to you. May we be intimate with you. May we call out your name. That name, Jesus. It's not just a, it's not a magic religious name. It's the embodiment of everything we've ever been hungry for in our relationships, in our finances, in our medical issues, in our schooling, in our neighborhoods, in our culture that's fraying at its core. Would you hear a flock of your sheep say thank you to the gate?